one. All right. There will be bourbon. It's been a while. It's been like, I don't know. There's a whole other election that took place since the last time I did one of these. Uh, yeah. So tonight I got, or today, I don't know, whatever day it is, like it's happy hour time here on There Will Be Bourbon. We've got Brian and Teresa Morgan Stern. They have just written a book. It is Vino. Wait, no, it's Vignettes and Vino. Dinner table stories from the Trump White House with recipes and cocktail pairings. Uh, Teresa looks great, but I want you to guys really look at, look at Brian's chin right there. That is the... <laughs> granite chiseled chin making abe lincoln there in the background more jealous than uh i know what to say there um before i bring these fine two americans in let's talk about what will be fueling tonight's podcast which is the great native ex native not the experiment the great native spirit bourbon and this is a store pick here from bounty hunter and napa I, the label whatever so Wyoming whiskey, right? It is their private stock selection and it is a store pick. As I said, this is coming in at 114 proof. So from the barrel, as you know, I love and enjoy. Um, no age statement on this one, but it's going to join the collection of all the Wyoming whiskeys guy out in the back. Great, big fan of these guys. Wyoming does some good stuff. So Bounty Hunter, get online. You could probably buy it from them. But anyway, enough about that. It's time to get fueled. What's going on, uh, America's couple brian and Teresa, how are you <laughs> doing great hey. thanks for having us yeah so glad to be back here yeah Teresa's back so she was on before uh i think brian dropped in made an, a, a quick cameo she <laughs> suggested that we have you on which is good now that you're here because you guys decided to write a book uh both of us have cats who are you know entertaining and like to make appearances so i'm, I'm hoping to see that Maybe a little Larry experience or uh, uh, pop up because Larry wasn't a part of the family last time. I believe Larry's still pretty new no. to the world, right? That was before we had. Yeah, Larry. yeah, he That's came right. in shortly after that. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. All right, so okay, I have a list of things. You know, I'm very sophisticated. I, I use the note feature on the iPhone, right? You guys all have iPhones, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. All right, I didn't know Brian. I, I I didn't know if you were one of those guys that when the tweets pop up, it says by Android and. <laughs> I try no, to, no, I'm not one of those weirdos. I try to block those green phone. text here. Yeah, I try, yeah. To, <laughs> I try to mute those individuals. Um, but now we got Twitter blue. I can select my colors. You guys get on this Twitter blue thing? Yeah, I know you guys are like actual important people. You might not have to do yeah. that. Yet. Yeah, you, I, you I know. have it. I was going to because I was like, yeah, okay, it's that, yeah. that's worth it to me. But uh, it says that I, it, I think I'm still like shadow banned because. <laughs> Uh, it pops up saying like Twitter blue will be available in your country soon. And I'm like, are you using uh, a VPN? America? <laughs> what? Are you using what a VPN? You Do you have a VPN X? Is that what you're doing? Oh, are you still using the bad phone from the, did you forget to turn your phone in Brian? Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, it should be normal. I, I think the, I think the old guard tweeters uh, had me on a list. So. Maybe. Um, I think, the troubleshoot to that is I, I experienced it as well. I think you just need to update your phone. Oh, okay. update the app. Well, you're, you're busting my conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, that's what I do. I'm here to dispel rumors and keep America on its right proper course. You know, let's, yeah. let's stay away from uh conspiracy one oh one. Actually, No, you know, let's get into, no, I don't want to get into it's still early. <laughs> oh, We're only about that all day. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about that though? Because that was kind of one of the things I put on here, the, the Twitter blue thing, like the subscription, everyone gets verified regardless of the verification thing. What do you think about just like the subscription? Because I thought, look, I've been using Twitter for since what, 2009 and it's always been free. Like the best mm -hmm. thing that people would always say is like, I can't believe this app is free. And I guess it still is, but yeah, you know, from a business perspective, right? Really? Should it be? I'm okay with having like a small gating fee to uh yeah to have a little bit more i mean if it, if it means you're gonna get more uh followers or you're seen or you're more trusted or whatever um i'm, I'm kind of okay with that it's it's marginal i think if they charge much you know i think he's found the sweet spot at eight bucks a month like if it were more than that it might yeah. be too much and less than that maybe too little um but i i'm okay with like some gating mechanism um, yeah, I thought he floated out originally like 20 bucks a month to all the, the people who were currently verified and everyone's like, eh, that might be a little much. He's like, fine, eight. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he's trolling people with it, though. Like, it's I, really funny. Man, I swear, I wish I could just, can you imagine owning Twitter and just being able to just do it? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> people still, that. whether he was owning it or not, he's that now he's the owner, like, 
where are you really going to go? Like you still have, whether you like him being there or not, like you're still firing up the app and firing off and you're right. He's going to troll you. If you say something stupid or if you add him, he's going to, he's, he may respond. I'm still waiting. I'm trying to get some things that I can provoke him on, but no response (laughs) yet. Yeah. I like it. I mean, they're trying to come up with alternatives, you know, I mean, Trump has his and then uh, there's Getter and then the, I think the liberal one is Mastodon. Oh, is that? Is it, there's Parler. I've I'm, I've been verified on Parler for years. <laughs> well, you're verified on Twitter. So well, I said I just bought it. <laughs> Twitter blue. Oh, it okay, okay, you got it. Okay, well, keep us updated. Let us know how it treats yeah. you. Yeah, I like Twitter. Like, I I literally love it. The only re- like, I don't even care if they put the verified thing on. Once I actually read through what it is, the customize everything, everything gets aggregated. Your stuff gets kind of bumped up. You get to filter out the things that you don't want to see or whatever it's it's to me it's worth it without the whole verification thing like yeah. and plus like i said i do use it specifically for some things and primarily promoting this so if this helps at any means what's yeah. eight bucks a month i mean because right. you post something on facebook they ask you for ten dollars to do a, a a boost for a week or something for an ad for example right like that's I've, I've i've tried that it doesn't really work it doesn't really do much so i mean if you're gonna give me eight bucks a month to do something that i actually like I mean, think about all the subscription services we already dump cash in. Hulu, Netflix. <laughs> it just goes on and on. Like, ready. Paramount this? now with this freaking Yellowstone. What? <laughs> oh, get Peacock. You can watch Yellowstone and Peacock. That's For what free. we do. Last yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't I watch the it? premiere last night. We're supposed to watch it later, but I okay. saw. I, I was already complaining about a bourbon that appeared on it last night. I saw it. It's like. The Buffalo Trace. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's the Weller Buffalo 12, Trace. which they make, but it's like, okay, look, these things have already been ridiculously priced up because of they think it's like the poor man's Pappy Van Winkle because it's the same recipe. It's just younger. But now you put a product like that on a show that big, it's going to just drive the price up. That's a $40 bottle that already goes between $250, $400. And now that it appears on this show, you're going to make all these, these people go out and try and get it. It's just going to jack the price up even more. Like, it's Probably. bourbon. At the end of the day, it's 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 friggin' alcohol. Come on, like what are we doing? Actually, so remember, uh, were you? Did you ever get into billions? Yeah, up until this recent season, I watched two episodes and said I'm not watching this shit anymore because it totally went to like left wing wacko world. Oh and, yeah, oh yeah, it went completely nuts. It went, yeah. I, they lost me um, two know, episodes maybe a season ago. Yeah. And and I was like, I this is absurd. I can't deal yeah. with it anymore. But they did have a an excellent product placement called Michter's. Who? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's right. I'm, and I'm glad we got right into this, good because Teresa mentioned it earlier. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. So I used to represent. Year, huh? uh, I used to represent them, and they they're great, great guys. And they sent me a sample of this. Oh, he's got it. Yeah. Look at that. The twenty year, and I, I believe it was on billions. Yeah, it was that. It was the celebration, like the twenty-year celebration bottle that Wags bought for like yep. five thousand dollars. Well, it was funny in the show. He's like, he orders it, and the server is trying to make it seem like he can't afford it. He's like, I'll take two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me the bottle. Actually, yeah. give me two. Yeah, yeah. give me two. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. Like, I love Mictors. Like, my favorite Mictors that they make has been that that toasted barrel. I don't know if you've had that one yet or not. That stuff's good. So the toasted barrel thing has been making, yeah, yeah it's been making its rounds through everything. So I think Woodford was probably the first to really do that. So they do a double oak. Anytime you've seen a double oak or anything like that along the lines, it, it's usually a, they pull it out of the barrel after it's done its an initial maturing process, and then they they put it in a brand new barrel and toast it, and that kind of adds this secondary flavor profile usually very marshmallowy um and that's the toasted thing so they do a really good one elijah craig just started doing a toasted barrel um so yeah they all do that but the mictors one is it's fantastic and again again something that's pretty normal and now it's just the price is just yeah speaking so speaking of like fun with barrels fun with barrels this is a gift from my brother jefferson's ocean yeah this, this they put in barrels that sail around the world on ships so it gets like sort of a like an ocean breeze or yeah it's cool uh, so kentucky distillers is the distillery who makes that one and I, I did a tour of their property back in i think 2019 
And so, yeah, they show you each. So each barrel of that Jefferson's ocean at sea, like they, they, on the walls, they'll show you like its journey and where it goes all throughout the world. It's like a six to nine month process of how it's just sloshing back and forth all across the planet. It's really cool. It's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. yeah it's a cool process. And, and so they got the barrels out there. You can just smell them like the smell of it. There's one that's eight or finished in Cabernet Sauvignon cask. But this, the smell of that, it's just like, oh, I just want to crawl in here and, yeah. <laughs> all right so look we talked bourbon all day but you guys wrote a book Why, why'd you guys write this book what what was what was going on what was the inspiration for this out of you know trump wasn't re-elected so you guys had to do something to fill the time or <laughs> well i was the last time we were together i think that was when we started actually yeah. writing the book that oh know, was it? okay yeah yeah but the main crux of it is basically um it's it's part memoir it's, it's these short stories about our time working in the trump administration and then you know i think you know eventually brian and i worked at the white house together at the end um but it's those short stories from that time together and then during the pandemic um i actually worked at the commerce department before i worked at the white house and pentagon and i was traveling with secretary ross doing advanced work, you know, scheduling protocol, all the things. And so we traveled internationally pretty much every, like twice a month. So I was traveling internationally, couldn't do it anymore. We literally were about to go to China. And that's one of the chapters in there where I talk about like, we were planning a trip to China, the end of February, beginning of March, the beginning of the pandemic. And at one point we're like, we can't send an 82 year old man to China. (laughs) He sounded like he was about it. He was all good with it, right? Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> by the way, like some, I feel like all the old people like didn't care about COVID. Like yeah, I, I just, people were not affected by it at all. I mean, yeah, they finished like that were chapter about. with you guys talking about the world war two stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It kind of seems like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, because I couldn't travel, I was at home. I had nothing else to do, but cook. And so I started cooking and I started like writing res- these recipes down. Um, so we thought it'd be cool to have a combination between our experience and pair with the recipe that goes with it. So it was Brian's idea to do the cocktail thing. Yeah. 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 Can't have a good meal without a good cocktail. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, Hey, it's, what is it? It's one twenty here where I'm at. So <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Turn up. There's, there we go. There's ice in my wine. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. What's that about? I didn't, it, it wasn't chilled. No, I just, I don't care. <laughs> that's that's what, what, what cracks me up the most is, is people, they act, you know, very sanctimonious about their alcohol, which by all means, there are right and wrong ways to do certain things, but you know, they just drink it how you like it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Some people just cry, especially the wine world, you know, some of the things that people do is just, you know, I mean, out in Napa, I see some things that I'm just like, okay, we're, we're getting a little out of hand. At the end of the day, it's like, I go back to the price point of these things. It's just alcohol. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just drink it. You know? that. That saw I told you to follow. She I was- did. I did. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't get on Instagram as much anymore, but yeah, I do. I followed her. I'm looking forward to seeing it. What is she a little, uh, a little wacky or what? What's going on? This is funny. It's just like comedian meets sommelier. So, oh, I can't say that word. Sommelier. Sommelier. Do you guys ever watch Psalm, those documentaries? No, you're like the third person to tell us that though. We should watch it. Psalm one Especially and two. Now that we're foodies and whinies or whatever you call them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Psalm three is great. Psalm, yeah. Psalm three is like a very different version. So the first two are kind of just showing um, the process of these guys, this group of people going through it and trying to get selected. And then the third one is like, okay, a few of these people have already been doing it for a few years, but it kind of touches base with like these three like master psalms throughout the one from the states i think one's from this the first female psalm from england oh, and, wow. and a guy from france and they get together and they bring like their ultimate bottles like if you could have one bottle right and this guy from france brings like the guy drinks a bottle of wine a night you know his his private cave is in you know, he's got his own oh, God. it's just ridiculous he brings something from my, I think I want to say it was either 1939 or 1949 and they open it and it's just. Wow. wow. Yeah. So like I outprocessed in the army, right? So the sardine factory, which is where the, the, uh, in Monterey, California, which mm-hmm. is, I can't remember the guy's name, but that's where he came to prominence in the eighties and nineties. And anyway, they got this wine list out there. That's probably as thick as your book. They literally have bottles from the civil war. Era. Yes. And you can buy them. 
Forget the price. Just know <laughs> the fact that like you, if you really wanted to open up a bottle from the Civil War era, that's where you go do it. It's insane. Now, you're not going to probably do it because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think it's going to taste that good. But no, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't look that taste. I wouldn't think that 150-year-old. That's on there. That's too aged. So if, when you no. get when you guys get done here, like go check out the sardine factory in Monterey, California. There, just look at their okay. wine list. It's it's insane. Um, all right, so I got I got I got a few questions about about the book. So I'm I'm mostly through it. You know, again, big fan of the recipes. I'm already getting ready to do this chicken parm that you put at the very beginning, and then probably that peanut butter pie my daughter's going to do when I see her again because she's the baker. You know, so she's yeah. anything bake baking. You know that stuff. It's too much measuring for me to get. Whatever. Yeah, too much chemistry. <laughs> but she has chemistry this year as as a junior in high school, and the stuff she talks about, I'm just like ionic bonds. Like you know what? No, that was never my thing. I did this. I joined the army. Okay, I don't. I'm not here to talk. <laughs> you know. So all right. Um, I did have one one of the questions I really had for you guys because I, I think it was a cool story. Um, but it's also. I think people need to hear this in a way because I don't think most people will. And it's like, Brian, it's the chapter you wrote about Dr. Fauci, right? Because I, I, I'm out here in the Bay Area. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco, especially I think I may have even already told Teresa the first time she was on. You know, there were times when this country shut down that like there was nothing, like, nobody on the streets, nothing. And I would just I would just drive into San Francisco. Normally an hour and a half drive. It would take me about 30 minutes because there's nobody. I remember like if you drove along the water in the wharf there's this building that would be up there and on the third or fourth floor there's these big white poster boards with big old black marker saying and Fauci we trust and then when things all kind of started to slowly come around those were the first things that disappear in San Francisco of all places <laughs> yeah so I, I guess, Brian, if you could, I don't want, I, I want people to get your book and read it, obviously, but can you tell us, tell us a little bit about that chapter and your experience with Dr. Fauci, America, yeah, yeah. America's physician, whatever he is, I don't know. America's doctor, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe I start the chapter with the words, Anthony Fauci is awful. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it's because he is, I mean, he's an arrogant little tyrant, um, a lot of people aren't willing to say it, but it's true. And what's worse is that he's been wrong about everything from the beginning of the pandemic. And it, it's been a shame, really, for kids kept out of school, people kept who lost their jobs and weren't allowed to go to work. Um, his demand that everybody get a vaccine, no matter their personal health uh scenario, his uh, his insistence on so many things that were just that wrong. He was joking about the mask mandates, about yeah. how people would go into a restaurant, they had to wear a mask to walk in, but then you could take it off and sit at your table and have dinner and talk to people. I mean, obviously that makes no sense. It was laughable. Uh, his comment that not only should you wear masks, you should wear multiple masks and goggles. Yes. Laughable. And he was laughing about it behind closed doors, but he, he wasn't telling the American people that some of these restrictions were patently absurd. Um, he was recommending right after President Trump had COVID and therefore had all the antibodies, was on television saying he should get vaccinated right away. There's no doctor in America who would recommend that, but yet here he was. And I think maybe one of the worst things about his performance was that uh, he was suppressing really distinguished uh, immunologists at Harvard and Stanford and Oxford, mm -hmm. all of whom were saying that public health dictates that you need to consider the risk of the virus along with other risks, the risk of missed cancer screenings, the risk of people staying home and being isolated and being depressed and substance abuse. Um, so many other risks that aren't just having to do with the virus, but he was very myopic uh, in his vision. And he was saying that those doctors 
who made those that very reasonable uh, position. He said that they are fringy and that they needed to be, you know, suppressed. They needed to be basically have a PR takedown of their reputations because they disagreed with the almighty Fauci. Mm -hmm. He did more damage to the public's trust in our health apparatus than maybe anyone else in the history of the United States. And yet he is still celebrated by many people, mostly on a partisan basis, because he would always contradict Trump, no matter what, he would always contradict Trump. And it wasn't an accident, claims to be nonpartisan. He's a longtime friend of Ron Klain, who's now Biden's chief of staff. you know, he, he really was sort of a, a partisan actor, but uh, very unscientific. There's nothing more unscientific than suppressing science mm-hmm. and, and suppressing really distinguished scientists just because they had a different medical opinion than than he did. So um, I, I that's very sort of a grave um you know, just kind of unfortunate circumstances. I think somebody needs to say it. So I said it. Um, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who will be offended by that. I don't much care because it's true. It's Boy. based on my experience. I try to end the chapter, though, with a bit of levity because his outsized ego did lead to one of the best days at work that I had and probably will ever have. And it's because he got himself invited to throw out the first pitch of Major League Baseball. <laughs> and which is amazing i mean we were in talks with major league baseball to have president trump to yeah. throughout the first pitch he is friends with the the owners of the washington nationals and got himself invited so they put the press release out before major league baseball could put out their press release got himself invited in response the president didn't care uh luckily yeah. i mean he's got a good sense of humor about it we set up a really good event at the white house with mariano rivera who's a childhood hero of mine yeah we had Dave Portnoy from Barstool come and interview the president. We had a bunch of little leaguers playing catch on the South Lawn of the White House. ESPN awesome. came and filmed it. We did a broadcast from there. It was a phenomenal day at work. It was incredible. I got to meet my hero. I got to hang out with him in the Oval Office, which who gets to do that? I mean, it was I have a good picture of that in the book. That's cool. Yeah, it, it, it was one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest days ever. And then the poetic justice, just to put a button on it. Uh, was that Fauci threw perhaps the worst first pitch in the history <laughs> of first pitches. He basically bolded into the dugout. Yeah, I thought uh, this dude, like, didn't Trump say this guy was like a, he was an athlete. He played basketball in high school. Like, you know, for whatever people think about President Bush, he still threw the greatest first pitch in the history of first pitches. And you know yeah. why? Because he actually put in the effort to make that happen. No one knows that <laughs> that guy spent like three hours before the game talking with Roger Clemens and practicing about how to actually throw this pitch. And he went out there and did it. Now, again, like I said, you can have your opinions on it, but in that moment, aside from being a player, that's probably one of the most pressure packed moments for you to go out and just be like, you know what, let's just dial this in and throw this perfectly placed pitch, which he did after nine 11 and that takes some fucking ball. Well, it also takes some balls for maybe the things that people have issues with him, but, but whatever. All right. Yeah. Let's- <laughs> well, the, the, just, I think it was a 30 for 30 or something where Jeter yeah. was with oh. him up, remember, in the in the batting cages beneath the stadium. I and that was in his uh the they just did the captain documentary with, with Jeter. Yeah. And oh, he was good. don't bounce it. Yeah, so, don't bounce it. They'll boo you. Yeah, so good. I, I I love Derek Jeter, man. Like I'm a I'm a Gi- I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. I was a Bonds fan my whole life. But like Derek Jeter, that was that was my dude. Like I love that guy. And he he was you couldn't not like the Yankees, or you could hate the Yankees, but there's no way you could hate Jeter. I remember I used to see him in Tampa during spring training all the time. Always going into the same diner, my buddy and I would go into stumbling home the next day after a hangover, and I'd be like, oh, this guy, it's Derek Jeter. It's a good guy. It's a good dude. Um, so yeah, well, I wanted to ask you something though, Brian and, and Teresa to you as well, if you know anything, but why do you think, because, you know, you guys talk about, I know Teresa talked about it when she was with me before, but operation warp speed, it was, it was a huge accomplishment, but why the politicization of that politicization, this is like Teresa trying to say that <laughs> the politicization of the vaccine, right? Like, and, and why did Fauci take the position that he did? Why would he go out and contradict ultimately his boss? Like, why would, especially in that time, 
whether, whether whatever people's opinions were, we were all going through it at the same time, trying to figure shit out. Right. Cause you talk about 15 days of slow to spread. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know that as some sort of kind of a, a, a more of a joke than anything, but we all went through it. Like why, I guess is the best question. Well, there's a number of reasons why, um, and it depends on the sort of specific scenario. I would say if you're looking for one overriding theme, it's that there is a culture in Washington, D.C., where (laughs) the longest serving bureaucrat in a particular area is viewed as the most trusted voice in that area, whether they're good at their job or not. Okay. It's just he's been there since the Stone Age. Therefore, he must know everything. Chuck Obviously, that is that is you know not true as we learned during the pandemic. Um, I would say another reason though, and I'll use the example on we have a chapter on the the vaccine data. Mm-hmm. Now, you know now I think there are different. There's different data. There's different views of the efficacy. Set that aside for a moment. At that time, we were talking about when the initial data should be released, when it could be released. And Pfizer and the FDA and everybody had been using the normal guidelines where they probably would have announced, not probably, they would have had positive data to announce in October before the election. Well, there was, nobody talked about it, but it was a very public campaign by Biden's advisors, Ezekiel Emanuel is a doctor. He's the brother of Rahm Emanuel, who is the chief of staff for Barack Obama. And he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. He arranged a group of Democrat doctors to publicly lobby to hold the data back until after the election, because they said, if it comes out before the election, that'll be good for Donald Trump. It'll be like a campaign event for Donald Trump. You, You can't do that. Well, that's not following the science. That's following the political science. Mm-hmm. And they ended up holding the data back until the day after the election was called for Biden. I mean, it, it like it wasn't even hidden. It was just out there in the open. And then they acted like it was some big coincidence. So um, the, it, there's no secret that the, the bureaucrats in Washington were not fans of Trump because he questioned their authority. He upended the conventional wisdom. And well, I think we put the the example in the book too. I mean, it's just one example of um, we had this really cool vaccine summit back yep. in like December yeah, of you you know, 2020. Yeah, I think it's a chapter in here. <clears throat> and that was a great chapter to talk about how we work together and things like that. I mean, you've got to go and read it. But um, obviously we brought together all the major players in this entire effort. So that was the private sector, that was CVS, Walgreens, all those folks who were the distributors. We brought in the military who were in charge of logistics of the distribution. And then we brought in the agencies that we could bring in without conflict of interest, of course. But um, I mean, everyone was on board with doing this massive gathering to show the American people how this was made because we did want to give the American public trust in these efforts. And the one person that couldn't show up is Dr. Fauci. You know why? Because he was at an event for Joe Biden's campaign. So um, that should just tell you enough right there that he yeah. was in it for his own interest. See, so this opens up. I mean, th- there's there's so many questions, and that's why I come back to. Well, what what was the point of the vaccine then? If that if that was so unimportant to the guy that we're talking about, but at the same time, knowing the Operation Warp Speed, knowing what priorities went into that, knowing that it was literally a you know, a well intentioned effort that was fast track through all the approval processes, you know, to, to ultimately take care of the American people. Yeah. Why did it become just this political football that, you know, ironically, I would say more people on our side mock it more than anything. Yeah. Right. And, and so, so, so where, where, where does just like a normal dude or girl who just wants to be like, like what, what am I doing the right thing or what, like what the hell is the right answer here? Right. Because it's become something that we can't even agree on with this. You know what I mean? Like it, it's everything's a fucking political pitch that we have to try and hit and slap a home run out of rather than just, you know, what's the actual message here? What should we be doing? Well, that's, that's a great question and point because as people who literally saw the makings of it, yeah. who, who saw the work of it, we saw the data, we saw all the things that went into this. I mean, we, 
we said, this is great. This is a good thing. We know exactly what message we wanted to convey that this was a vaccine that could be trusted. You know, there are caveats to it. Like you could still get COVID, but you won't die from COVID yeah. if you get this vaccine. Like we knew all these things and we try to put that message out there. And I, I've been saying this a lot in our interviews talking about the book lately is that we also face a very challenging media environment, a very hostile yeah. media environment. And so no matter what we did, the media would always have an agenda out for our efforts because president trump was president right so, so it, yeah. for example we like his team the operation warp speed team had been able to complete the process of developing the vaccine in about nine months that is five times faster than it's mm -hmm. ever been done before and it was because there was simultaneous manufacturing and trials going on mm -hmm. so the government took on the risk that if the trials didn't go well you're going to have a bunch of vaccine that you can't use hmm. but because of the urgency of the moment they, they went with this model but a couple of things were happening one that fauci's the world were saying it's not it's not possible to do this well it was possible we did do it but he continued to say it's not possible and the media would choose to believe him over everybody else because his message was bad for trump so they would just automatically agree with him that, that that's one thing another uh relates it let's my attitude towards the big pharma companies is they do things that are miraculous and life-saving they are also big greedy companies and very politically minded and so trump <laughs> had an executive order on drug pricing on, re on reducing drug pricing pfizer didn't like that um that was going to cost them a lot of money um they were very much in bed with the Democrats. A lot of their senior executives affiliated with the Democratic Party. Um, the Biden administration was going to treat them better. Just from a policy perspective, they thought they'd make more money if Biden were president. That turns out that is absolutely true because when Biden came in, he froze all of Trump's executive orders, which they were worried would cost them money. And they bought more of the vaccines after every American had access to one, they bought more of the vaccines at a 20% markup and then hundreds of millions more to send to other countries who didn't even have the cold storage to use them. It was like the infrastructure to like- It was, so a, a massive, massive windfall for Pfizer. So from their shareholder and CEO perspective, who by the way, made $5.6 billion in one day mm -hmm. when the data came out, a day he exercised stock options, Nobody talks about that either. But so the, the point being, they were extremely self-interested. Uh, you need to bear that in mind. That doesn't mean they don't also do miraculous and life-saving things. Right. But it is a very muddy, moneyed, connected, motivated interest that you're dealing with. So um, you need to bear that in mind. I thought the vaccine mandates were a shame. I, we were encouraged... <laughs> encouraging people, especially those who are at risk, who were older or uh, had weight issues or diabetes, other, other comorbidities, yeah. saying, you know, like this can reduce your risk. You might, you, you really should have it. it. We're young and healthy. We could mm -hmm. take it or leave it. It wasn't going to affect our risk profile nearly as much. Yeah. But I ended up getting the vaccine just for life's conveniences because there are so many places with mandates. Yeah, but, I was the same way. I think I said that to Teresa. Yeah. I've had horrific reactions to flu shots in the past. So I was thinking like, I don't really want to get this. Like I, I'd probably rather take my chances with COVID. I'm, it's probably, you know, not going to harm me very much, but I got it for the you know conveniences. Um, my reaction to it was horrendous. I was in, day, really? in bed. I had cold sweats for weeks. I was wow. like, I had a terrible reaction. We also had COVID twice, and my COVID was like the sniffles for two days. And yeah, I think, so I think I, you mentioned that. It was like right yeah. after. <laughs> yeah. So I was right in terms of, you know, should I get it? Probably not. I did anyway. Yeah. Uh, because of the mandates. But, you know, the mandates were a shame. And the fact that people got fired because of them. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just terrible. You're firing doctors and nurses when you have a shortage of medical personnel. That, but see, but that's why, like, man, Brian, I just really want to, like, I know we don't have all day, but I really just want to dig into the why, because it, it's, you know, when you, when you sit at this like 30,000 feet bird's eye view of the, you're like, oh, that fucking sucks. But it's like, you know what? Hold on. 
we got to get a little deeper and try and understand why. Now, is it really all because of fucking Trump and just they don't like the guy that much that they had to figure out a way to, to, to get him out? Well, I think they just like control, too. Why wait until 2020 to get control, Teresa? Like, I mean, we could have started controlling shit a long time ago. I guess 9-11 would have been the greatest right, opportunity you know? to control everyone permanently, right? Like we could have just yeah. done, I mean, I know they tried with this Patriot Act bullshit, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities in our history to control. So why well, this random? Because fear, because they used fear as their control tool. Fear was easy to use. There's they a... used it to their advantage. Yeah. And there's always efforts to gain more control. Um, it's a matter of, you know, the old Rahm Emanuel quote, never let a crisis go yeah. away. Yeah. So you know, they always want to push through something, some some big power grab. Um, they got away. Think about how much they got away with this time. Probably more than almost, I mean, other than Lincoln suspending habeas corpus in the Civil War, like, has there been a bigger government overreach in, in our history? I, I don't know. I mean, this has got to be on the Mount Rushmore of like overreach you know um <laughs> <laughs> no um <laughs> it's it, no i don't want to do revisionist history that's another that's that's a topic for another time topic for another time no, i i i just like i said um and especially living through it out here like i know you guys being in dc and or in at least in the dc area you you've you talked about it and what you guys went through but i mean man i i I don't know if I, this was something I already told Teresa about when we talked before, but like I was the first county to shut down in California. Like we were the first county. Like we went from having, you know, our annual battalion ball over here at Travis Airfield to like the very next month we had every flight coming in from China and any type of Japan, any of the Asian countries, getting rerouted to Travis Air Force Base. And thrown into the hotel that we did our party and stayed at with this big ass fence around it. And they were quarantined. You would go drive through Travis Air Force Base and you see them out on their little, you know, it's your time for your walk around the big, like, I mean, like there's, you know, and, you know, my battalion commander, after I decided to send everyone home because our entire county shut down and we can't do anything, calling me and be like, hey, you know, why did you send everyone home? Well, well, sir. And then two days later, him shutting the whole battalion down. Like it's stuff like that to me. That still, when I really go back and think about it, it's just like all of that over really essentially, like you said, the sniffles. So it it, it obviously, but I, I think there's a distinction between the beginning of the yeah. pandemic when like over a thousand people a day were dying of what we thought was primarily COVID. We learned more about the data and the risk factors yeah. over time. At the beginning, we had no idea. And I think there are some bold actions like shutting down travel from China, shutting down travel from Europe, like, you know, that it was because we didn't know a lot, but we knew there was a lot of death that was happening. It was a big risk for a lot of people. And so there are some bold steps taken. As The problem is, as we learned more, there wasn't course correction by the public health bureaucracy. Yeah. As, and part of that is personalities, people who became relevant, they became household names. They were benefiting from the fear and uncertainty. And so, and they themselves are, tend, I, I think it wasn't all animus. I think some of it was their own, tremendous risk aversion saying you know always better to be safe than sorry but in the extreme and being so slow to react to new information to actually relinquish authority was like a bridge too far for them for way too long do you think Until if this happened in, if, if this was if this happened in 2019 do you think trump gets reelected? oh that's a good question maybe i mean it i'll, I'll put it this way if not for COVID, Trump would have been reelected. I have right. No I think about all the success. No doubt of that. But but think about if if 2020 was 2019 and it all started March February ish of 2019, right? You go through Operation Warp Speed. You go through everything that they went through. You start getting like uh, you 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 start seeing the benefits of the vaccine. 
plus or minus. You probably don't get the the mandates, right? You probably don't get any of that because I don't think he would be the one to be like, oh yeah, we're totally going to do that on a federal level. And if you're not doing it on a federal level, why would you do it at a private level, right? So, and then you that that's a year, almost two years before you get to the election. Right. You probably would have some some really good wins because you get the vaccine, you get you get all that stuff that goes along with it. Hmm. And then you don't get to suppress the report like you talked about that comes out after the fact. Yeah, and it and just, you it have it just seems that like look, Brian. I don't want to pretend that I'm I'm living in a fucking larger version of the Afghanistan elections of 2014. But come on, man. Like this is like some of the shit is just like really. If, if, <laughs> And we're all just kind of like, my guess, it must be legit. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. it, not, it that goes into like our conspiracy theory things in the beginning. I don't want to do that though. I don't, but it's yeah. starting to get really hard because it really, because it's one thing to be like, because I went into, when I remember being in Afghanistan for the election of 2014. And I remember sitting there thinking like, man, this is sucks. Because it seems like it's so easy to either target or influence one way or the other. And then I'm like, that would never happen in America. And then now it's just like, you know what? Because we actually are entirely too big to police and control, that you could probably really do a lot of things that you don't want to think are actually possible. And I I, I can sit here and I can provide and bring people onto this, this podcast with me from all sides of the spectrum who could probably be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Because unfortunately, that's like we're, we're we're human, okay. And humans like to, as you guys talked about earlier, we like to have control, or we like to have predict predictable outcomes. And man, if you go across, this is a big country, district by district, and it, it's playing out. Joe Kent, Washington State District Three. I, I mean, it's just playing out right now. Yeah. And, and and we're seeing stuff that you really don't want to say. You really don't because you want to you want to hold on to the ideal of what the founders had. Right. And you want to you want to assume that everything is legitimate and true. And yeah, I made this tweet or not. I didn't, make, I didn't tweet it. Don't do want to do that. Uh, I think I might put it in the group earlier. It's like was was 2016 the the actual last legitimate election? Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I hope not. Obviously, yeah. the, it, I think people need to wake up to what a lot of the influences are. I mean, I think that's starting to happen with like Molly Hemingway's book about how how much money the Zuckerberg spent through nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, look at this FTX thing. Okay with that. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And FTX collapsing. They were getting the U.S. was giving money to Ukraine. Ukraine was giving money to FTX. FTX. I saw that today. To like, is it this blatant? Is it going to be this blatant going forward? Like, it's well, well, fuck, it's so obvious it can't be real. Like, is well, that but, what we're going to try to expect but, everyone to do? But think for a long time, public sector unions have been in yeah. the pocket of Dem the Democrats because the Democrats would vote for them to get more funding. They would collect union dues. They would spend their union dues on electing Democrats. And it was just a big washing machine. That's been going on for generations. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. That's it's not, not new. new. That's not new. Um, I, I think you know over the course of the election, there are a lot, it, people get hung, hung up on this like you know stolen election because that's what Trump says and the media says that's false, and then they just go back and they're like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like what you started to point out was like was when you said in 2016, but was that the last like really free and fair election? I, I, I don't know. There's dirty tricks in every election. In 2020, there were a lot of things that did sway the election that I don't think were fair. Mm. The vaccine data situation was not fair. The no, Hunter Biden no. story being silenced by Twitter and Facebook at the behest of the FBI is not fair. Like anyone objectively speaking can say that was not fair. The hit pieces uh, where they said Trump was disparaging World War dead one World War One soldiers in France and then 27 people were on the trip with Trump, I was part of that team responding to that. 27 people who were on the trip with Trump said, he didn't say that. I was with him in the cemetery. He never said that. Like completely made up, but the Atlantic ran with it. And then CNN broadcasted it all day for a week. So, I mean, things, you know, hit pieces like that were constant. Yeah. The New York Times ran the same fake tax hit piece on Trump 
at the same time in the cycle in October as they had done in 2016. In both instances, his lawyers and accountants came out and said, no, 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 your reporters are mistaken. Here's the real deal. He paid tens of millions of dollars in taxes. They still ran the same hit piece yeah. at the same point in the cycle. It was like almost pre-programmed. So uh, there are a lot of things that are unfair. And I think people need to come to grips with that and wake up to it. Um, and there has to be you know, more accountability for this stuff, or at least just sunlight. Like the more people see it, and then understand that, like well, you yeah, would hope that, right? Thing. Because look, first of all, I I really need to point out that my total, I'm a little upset that there's not not been more cat appearances. <laughs> okay, so I don't know where mine are. Well, uh, there's one. Um, I don't know where <laughs> Teresa has left to fetch the cat. I would imagine. Trying to find. Um, our... I know where he's at. He's and... his... Oh no. Where did he go? Oh, he's in. He's going. He's in the chair. Oh, he's Larry. in the chair. Larry, the dog is rolling around here somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, but you you bring a good point because I don't think any, I don't think any president. I don't care what what side you. Oh, there you go. Oh, look at that. He's a little. Is he? Is he kind of a tuxedo? I don't know. He's gray. He's more gray. Hey, if I brought Frank over, Frank would probably be like. <laughs> He's a peasant. He's not a Texan. I was gonna say, Frank is probably way more in shape than uh <laughs> Frank is actually very svelte. I'm impressed with his ability to maintain his his level of fitness. He's a very probably what you do because his cat needs to <laughs> he's a very yeah. he's a very handsome, very well kept boy. He's a, he's a <laughs> but no, I, I think Brian to go to what uh, I don't want it doesn't matter the party to me. It doesn't matter. Like no president should have to be just constantly bombarded with a bunch of bullshit that's fake, right? Because all it does at some point there are people, whatever side you're on, who are going to fall for something. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, not everybody's able to actually discern what's truth and what's not, right? And the, and that's why I think I wrote this question down, um, because I think you, it might have been the I don't know if Brian or Teresa wrote this chapter, but you mentioned uh, a divided society today, and I was just curious if you think it's if, if we are more divided now or if it's just we just we're more aware of it because of all the social media and all the all that opportunity to, to kind of amplify it right we, we're yeah i mean look pe people are products of the environment yeah and the information that they consume and we have come to a place where everybody's in a echo chamber completely separated from other parts of the country. It's like, yep. we, it, I saw a piece about this the other day and it's something I was, it was something I had been thinking about for a long time, but I, I thought the author was correct that we're kind of heading to a place where we have elections where different sections of the electorate are getting completely different information. It's almost like they're living in alternate realities and it's very hard to have a cohesive country if we can't agree on the parameters of what is real and what is not, um, and which information is worth consuming and which information is not, yeah, um, you end up really, like I said, in, in alternate realities, um, and that's kind of where where we're at. I think it started in the probably '90s with uh, micro targeting when campaigns got really, really good at identifying very specific voters and pumping information to their heads uh, based on what they would care about to motivate them. Mm -hmm. And it was very effective. And then it, in the era of social media, that's kind of on overdrive at this yeah. point. And people like to have their beliefs confirmed, not challenged. Um, that's what gets people to click. That's what keeps them engaged. Mm -hmm. um, there's a story in Bloomberg recently about how like, and I've been working on an op-ed. I don't know if I'll ever publish anything on it, but the, the point of it would be the people say their 2020 was stolen because they get huge engagement on social media. They get a lot of followers. They get a lot of engagement. For three years, the media was saying that Donald Trump was an agent of Russia. It was fake. But their ratings were off the charts, like the highest they'd ever been. They were making a fortune off it. So they kept saying it. So I, I want everybody to wake up and realize that uh, 
the industry, the media industry and the social media industry, it's all about engagement. It's all about getting your attention. It's all about feeding you information that's going to keep your attention so that then they can sell you things. And once you realize that, you get a little more cynical. Maybe you have a little bit of a better sense of humor. Maybe you're a bit more discerning, uh, discriminating in terms of what you'll believe versus what you won't. And hopefully you'll be a healthier, happier voter. Yeah. But I mean, that, that, that comes back to, I think I, I pointed this out, like, you know, there's a man, I already forgot the name of it. I've, I've already pointed it out enough, but, you know, CNN has this really good documentary on how CNN became prominent after the Gulf War. But what people fail to realize is like, look, do you think it's a really a coincidence that Fox News and MSNBC came about in the exact same year? Like a few months apart, like this, we can't keep pretending that cable news outlets are anything other than entertainment one side or the other whatever it is you want and that may be the problem right because going i i go to what you just said brian like you you make really great points to it doesn't matter who it is or what you try and identify as in terms of party if your chosen source of media information is skewed and only to provide you with a reinforcement of that belief, then you're not getting informed. It doesn't, yeah, it, like, you're, you're not. Yeah. like, you know, a, 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 a rational human being should want to seek out all arguments and then hopefully take all that information and arrive at an actual perspective that is founded upon all of that information before it gets to that final point, right? I should be able to sit there and be like, you know what? I need to get this perspective. I need to get that perspective. And then is this really what I believe? Fine. If it is one way or the other, great. We don't do that. And 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 it's getting worse because we're 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 in a country that's unfortunately way too big to be at that point, I think, because this isn't like, you know, we're not, we're not. Vietnam, you know, we're not Guam, which I know it's American territory. Don't <laughs> send me nasty. Men. I'm just saying in terms of population, right? Where you could, yeah. we're at a point where we've got 150 million people on each side. that are just like, man, fuck them. Yeah. And it's it, the way we think is what's right. And that's where I really, I, I have issues with a lot of stuff going on because I don't think we're bridging that. We're not bridging that gap. No, I think it's only gotten more and more divided. Um, it's a shame. Uh, I hope there's some desire in the marketplace for America to remain a cohesive country and a strong one and a safe one. Um, but I agree. When 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 you're having your brain pumped full of, you know, your neighbor is the bad guy. And he doesn't deserve to. Well, so the deplatforming is. Oh, yeah. Like, what, what, can't we really draw the line at like just because you're a Republican or a Democrat, you can't be on Facebook or Twitter or have a bank account or be on GoFundMe or like any of this stuff? Like, you're really going to just like cancel people because they have a different opinion. How did we get there? Like, I mean, that that's absurd. And we got to draw lines and say, no, yeah. we can coexist even if we disagree. Well, I want you to draw this line because you know what? Your wife, Teresa, brought up <laughs> and you mentioned it earlier in this discussion. You were the lawyer for them. So let's talk about the Michters folks and, you know, unfortunately, the passing of that one young gentleman, but also like, so what was that? And why is that important that you think in terms of from a, from a perspective, like, Hey, look, we had vast differences ideo ideologically, but we were, we were friends. We were, we were, we were partners and we were able to kind of have a really good relationship. And why is that still important? Yeah. I mean, this guy was just a prince of a guy, one of the three brothers that owned uh Michter's and he passed away too soon unfortunately yeah. cancer but um I attended his funeral I got to see a lot of our friends and his family and our colleagues and everything and it just reminded me that 
we would get together and he'd give me a big bear hug and a kiss on each cheek and we'd sit and he would tell me what he was watching on MSNBC that day <laughs> and repeat that, you know, he's a radical leftist, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And that he can't believe that I would ever work for Trump and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but we were friends, but we would sit there and enjoy yeah. lunch. And he would tell me about a great bottle of wine he had had recently. He would tell me about how he was, you know, talking to the billions guys about Michters and how they could work it into different scenes. And we would talk about, uh, you know, a lot of our friends in common. And we just, we enjoyed life together. And it didn't matter who we voted for. Yep. It really didn't. In fact, it was a joke. It was it was funny, like that we were on radically different ends of the political spectrum, uh, and it was fine. And his his passing kind of reminded me of that about, and it made me really sad because I miss him so much yeah. because it's so rare to be able to have those relationships. And I just wish people would like wake up and say, "Yep, we need to like deplatform everybody." <laughs> who votes for something else like maybe we'll teach each other something and maybe we'll just enjoy a good meal together and maybe we'll be able to 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 share a perspective that is interesting and valuable i mean we talked a lot about faith he converted from catholic to judaism became like a scholar of judaism and would meet weekly with a rabbi and uh would meet with a music director about a lot of the chants you, you, you do a radical left-wing catholic I did. I did. <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but so the point is that he's a, a fantastically interesting person. Yeah. Hugely successful in business. Uh, I was so pleased that I got to represent him and become friends with him yeah. for so many years. And I'm just blessed to have had him in, in, in my life. And I just wish more people had relationships like that in their life because we'd probably be a happier, more cohesive yeah. country if we did. Yeah, and that's my point. And this is, uh, I I usually say it on every podcast that I do. I'm not 100% sure if I said it on the one with Teresa, but my 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 thing has always been, go talk to your neighbors, all right? You're, whatever you see on your screen every night, if that's what you choose to watch, that's not reality. It's not, it's a reinforcement of your beliefs, like I just said. But when you go out and actually talk to your neighbors, yeah, you might find you guys don't agree on a lot, but I guarantee it ain't that, there's not this massive schism where, oh, we, we, we can't have any actual realistic conversation because you think or you vote for someone that I didn't, right? I don't think that. I don't believe that at all, and I refuse to. I think the American people are way more connected than social media makes us believe. And, and I get it. I, I, wrote, I, I brought forth a lot of things that I think are, are troubling currently in our climate but i think at the end of the day when you really just go re just just go talk to your neighbor that's it i don't care if you live in an apartment i don't care if you have it if you're in the suburbs if you go talk to your neighbors i promise you the vitriol you see on social media and the the keyboard warriors and all that bullshit it doesn't exist in the real world it really doesn't because at the end of the day you gotta have a conversation but you know what made that a lot harder covid yeah yeah, you guys talk about this. I think you guys do a great point. It's kind of how your relationship evolved. And I think maybe even mine and hers. Like, man, what what you know, what were you supposed to do for damn near a year and a half in a lot of these in a lot of these locations, right? Like there's a lot of negative aspects of that, but there's a lot of I would like to say there was a lot of positive. I do. All right. We had Brian and Teresa come together and now they're married. <laughs> <laughs> That's, your point. that's why we wrote the book too because we wanted this book to transcend politics as well and yeah. um you know we're just two normal americans who got this opportunity we had a front row seat of history i mean america's so, couple you know, what's up yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know like say what you will about president trump and yeah believe us like we have gotten our fair share of vitriol from people that we know and love that like now hate us because we work for him. I mean, you've got a barrage of hate mail all the time. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, what did I ever do to you? People you know? I hadn't <laughs> talked to in years took time out of their day to write awful. Look, look, let, me, let me talk to you about that stuff off of this at some point. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just like, I mean, but we had an opportunity. We worked on some really great stuff. You can't yeah, deny it. you guys it. did. You right. know, and um, we take that experience in, very, in a very positive light. Like, 
we're not going to say we were ashamed to work for him. Like we were very, we were very honored to, to have that. Him, to serve our country. You just don't say no. Yeah. The White House says, hey, come work for us. No, it doesn't. And no, I, I think that's great as well, because at the end of the day, I think what people really need to remember, um, especially when it comes to what you just said, Teresa, is like, that's the president. Okay. And if yeah. you truly give a damn or anything about this country, when the president calls you, or when mm -hmm. the president is willing to take you on as someone who's going to help them achieve their, their policy goals or whatever, like that's the president of the United States of America. That's where it ends. It ends at the United States of America. Forget all your bullshit before that and understand that you have a, you have a part and a role to play in achieving that. And people need to understand that. And this is my, my issue with most people in the United States of America is we are, we are a spoiled we are a very spoiled bunch and we have no idea what the rest of this planet deals with. We have no idea that the situations that they like, you know what, you know, the, I, I, I watched it in Kuwait and the Qatar and the United Arab Emirates. There is modern day slavery going on right now. And, and we're about to celebrate it in a location and with the world cup kicks off next week. Like it, it blows my mind that that's about to take place. Right. And, and Qatar of all fucking places that I've, you know, but it's stuff like that that I think people need to really understand and realize that before you throw out your, your your little college campus buzzwords or whatever you feel is your microaggression of the day, that there are people on this planet, they might not be in your country, there are people on this planet still really going through some stuff. Right. There they really are. And and they have no idea what the hell it is you just put out on a, in a tweet because they don't give a fuck. They don't have internet access. They like they're, right. they're really their their real concern for that day is where I'm going to eat or drink water, right? Yeah. And, and it's just like, "Oh, and meanwhile, some kid at Berkeley is offended because you know, whatever." Right? So yeah. that's my my that's my biggest issue is because I I just feel like I wish more Americans were exposed to the rest of the planet. Yeah. I really do because there's a lot more going on. All right. So the last question, can I, can I ask you guys one more question? I know we're a little over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Has the time, um, cause I feel, and I think a lot of people feel as well, like Trump came at the right time in our country, but I also feel like perhaps maybe that time has passed. Where, where do you guys come out on that? Has the time passed? Do we, do we need to, do we need to move on? I don't know. What's your answer? You go first. My, my, my answer is that I am a Republican. I think we instituted very pro-growth policies um, economically. I think foreign policy, we were very strong. I think yep. we made them all better. If not for COVID, we would have won re-election. Um, whoever the Republican nominee is, I think we'll be able to build on those successes. I don't think the Democrats are leading us in the right direction. So I'm for the Republican nominee as to who that is going to be. Um, I don't know. We're still cleaning up. Do you want to do you want to predict so. tomorrow what this announcement from former President Trump is tomorrow? What his announcement is? Because oh, why would he? Why would he announce he's not running? Right. Right. So he's. I mean, he might because he just loves the attention that much that he could probably be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing this shit. Fuck it." But there's no bench. <laughs> DeSantis is just comfortably reelected in Florida. Why the hell would he give that up to go deal with whoever? I'll just well, get I'll to be say, president. That's why. If it ends up being Trump Biden again, then we are truly living in the matrix. There's a glitch in the matrix uh, I happening. Love, I love some of the stuff Teresa said lately, but it's just like, yeah, it's just we. <laughs> you know, I'm all for term limits, but I'm also for some like some some age maxes. Yeah, right. yeah, no you know? kidding. Man, yeah. I don't. I, I I would take term limits all day. I don't know what I would really love to go dig back into history and figure out why they put that on the president after Roosevelt. But I would love to know why it was never extended to Congress and the Senate. I really would. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know. Maybe you could tell us, so I don't have to go read it. But there's some shit. <laughs> I, just don't, get I, know. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I mean, there were no term limits until Roosevelt. And yeah, they, after that's right. They, they, the guy uh, that won World War II, it's like, you know what? Fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> As I make Teresa spit her wine out. I love it. <laughs> He's only in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think term limits would be good. I also think term limits for staff would be good because yeah. the danger if you, you guys know this, this is more inside Congress than anything. 
if it like the the administrative state in Washington is even more the problem yeah. than the members who are here for their entire careers. They're a problem too, but it, it, it's we need like staff term limits basically because these people get like their fiefdoms and they just wait the elected officials and their staffs out. And it's like Dr. Fauci, case in point. Yeah. Exhibit A. Exhibit A. Like they just they just cross their arms and say, okay, yeah. I was here before you were elected and I'm gonna be here after you were elected. Yeah, that's a problem. So if I like what you're doing, fine. If I don't, it's not gonna happen. I'm just gonna stand in your way right. and leak to the press about how terrible you are and wait for you to leave office. So I mean that's it's it's not a democratic, small d democratic uh government that we have right now. It's very anti-democratic. So until you have something that's responsive to the people, you can give members of Congress term limits. It's probably better with them with term limits than without, but that's not it's not the root of the problem, in my opinion. Yep. It's the actual swamp. It's, yeah. Yeah. And if if there were a Loch Ness monster of the swamp, it would be Fauci. He was paid so much money. Highest paid. He makes more <laughs> yeah. than the president. I know that's crazy. How, 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 How does that work? How does that work? What What does the president make? You guys remember? It's it's like four hundred something, four twenty one, something like that. Yeah, four twenty. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. What the hell was what was what was Fauci making? Four fifty. Four fifty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if the guy was like a real doctor, you could probably make four times that. But oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's what people are <laughs> like. This not. like venerable, like no, like he's in the government because he sucks. <laughs> he didn't cut it in the private sector. <laughs> and plus, let's be honest, you guys live there. You know, you make four hundred thousand. That's like that's like minimum wage in DC. You guys, you guys are forced <laughs> to live together during the pandemic because you had no money. Let, let's be really honest, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Your six-figure salaries don't mean much. In <laughs> Not in D.C. or New York or San Francisco. Or... Yeah, like, look, that's what I love to tell everybody. Like, six-figure, hold on. Let's look. This isn't six figures in Huntsville, Alabama. All right, relax. All right, we're not living the life of luxury where I can get an 8,000-square-foot home for 400 grand. Right. You know, I'm just saying. Anyway, coming to your guys' hood soon. I hope to hang out. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. definitely. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, let me end this before I ask this next question. All right. So that is Brian and Teresa Morgenstern. They have the book Vignettes and Vino. Oh, oh come on, son. There's a sun right there. You see this without the, there it is. Yeah. We got this. Perfect. Grab the book, Amazon, all of your wonderful locations that you can order that from. Learn how to cook, learn how to make tasty drinks. Dinner table stories from the Trump White House with recipes and cocktail pairings from the Iron Chin, Brian Morgenstern. And by the way, we didn't mention this in the beginning. That's that picture is supposed to be a replica of the wedding crashers scene where they wake up. Oh, wow. Inspired, inspired, <laughs> inspired by. not replica. Inspired. Yeah, inspired by. It's a great picture. Like, seriously, like, Teresa, you're not hard to look at. However, Brian, this. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta lose a few and get back to the iron chin. It is. It, that's a, a great. It, it is also with with Lincoln looking over your shoulder like, man, look at that chin. Will <laughs> <laughs> the Gras, great yeah. photographer. Lincoln's chin actually carved out of stone, but Brian in the flesh carved out of stone. <laughs> great, it's a great chin. All right, let me end this. We'll get out of here, and then then I'll try to remember what the hell I was supposed to ask you. All right, here we go. <laughs>